We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What a pass, Giddy underneath for JRE. The reverse and the rookie to rookie action. Outside the blue door, he'll get the flyby. Three on the way, and he rattles it in. SGA defended closely by Westbrook. Tough step back, gets up the shot. Bakes it in. This is Udart. You're listening to the Uncontested. What is up and welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. Coming to you live May 22nd. 2-2? 22nd and the Thunder got the second pick. This podcast was written in stone, I think. I'm your host for the evening, Jacob Niffin. Got my guy, Justin Peabody, with me. Hello, everybody. We've got Nick Crane. What up, what up? And special guest joining the podcast tonight, formerly with the Oklahoma City Thunder, Currently a national grassroots analyst and an NBA draft scout and advisor with Basketball News. We got my guy, Derek Murray. Derek, how's it going, man? Jacob, I'm doing well, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, Jacob, Justin, Nick, and Taylor, who can't be here. I appreciate you guys very much. (laughs) Of course, of course. We appreciate you. Um, Let's just dive right into it, guys. Uh, Thunder, again, kind of still settling in for me. Pick number two. And pick number 12. Yeah, I mean, I talked a lot about Jabari and Chet and Paulo because I thought it was fun to hypothesize. And now that it's a a reality, it's kind of like, oh, God, like, what do they do? I'm so stressed out. I'm I'm anxious about a whole new thing. But we've got Derek here to help us out with that. Derek, you have spent the past week up at the Draft Combine uh, scouting tons of players. But before we dive into all of that, uh, can you just give us some background, some context into exactly what you do, uh, how long you've been doing this for, what you did with the Thunder prior to uh, your days with basketball news, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. So right now I kind of have my hand in a lot of different things. Um, I work for a company called Next Pro Hoops, uh, covering grassroots basketball. I help run an AAU circuit, nine events this summer, mostly in the Midwest. We've got shoe teams coming in, Under Armour, a lot of Under Armour teams coming in and get to see it. A lot of the best talent in the country. Um, I also travel for them and scout EYBL, the three SSB Adidas guys, um, everything from, all right, who can we help get a D2 scholarship to who are the one and dones? And it's a wide range of kids I get to watch. 
Then I also work with Matt Babcock in our consulting business is Babcock Hoops, NBA clients, agent clients. Um, we advise players. We scout for some international teams. Got our hand in a lot of different NBA stuff there, including free agency. And then for basketball news, we provide the media coverage, which is more your classic draft coverage, going to the combine, pre-draft workouts, um, interviewing players, really getting a feel for where guys are going. And, um, you know, again, this week, combine's a big week, um, especially with the lottery as well. Um, just a lot going on. And from here until like the 23rd of June, it's about the next month, 31 days. Uh, it's going to be 100 miles an hour for me. Quick question before we get into the draft. Um, can you speak to the importance of seeing guys in person? Because I feel like like folks like us, we can we can watch hours and hours and hours of raw tape and highlights and you can go back to you know EYBL high school tape on these guys. How important is it to be there in person and seeing these guys up close and personal versus you know just watching tape and making an evaluation? Film is about 50% of my evaluation. Um, I don't ever mind people making boards or making kind of lists or I like this guy, I don't like this player based on film. There's nothing wrong with that. We all started there. And if it's not your full-time job, that's probably what you rely on. So I think that's awesome. And I love when writers or, you know, amateur scouts try to do that. I do have an issue when like staunch stances are made, you know, player X is this. It's like, well, you've never talked to him. You have to get a vibe for, you know, it's almost, it's, it may sound weird to listeners. It's kind of like dating. Yeah. The Instagram profile looks great. Is it a lie? <laughs> we kind of have to go get a coffee or a drink with them to actually find out. And you know instantly, like whether or not you can vibe with this person, like the aura they carry when they walk into a date with you. I mean, it's the same thing. You walk into a gym, you shake the player's hand. Sometimes you're like, this is a dude. This is a dude. He is underrated. We are moving him up. Or if you're a team, you're like, we're not telling anybody we're moving him up. Like, I love this, this, this. One-on-one -on -one time has been great. I've left workouts. I've called Matt full transparency. I do not like this. And I would not take him on my team straight up. So then you see the film and it's like, oh, this kid is, you know, needs to be taken here. It's like, ah, oh, I can't say this publicly. Our clients pay for it, but I just wouldn't touch that kid. So that's, that's it, it can be frustrating at times, but getting up close and personal, again, just getting to know them as a person. Uh, how they're wired, just like you would hire somebody as, as an employee who works for you. You know, what is their internal drive, their internal work ethic? Okay, on film, they struggle with X, Y, and Z. If you trust them to work at it, then, you know, we have to take that into account. Are you too cool for school? Do you think you're already better than all your teammates? Do I want you in the locker room? And the big thing for me during the college season is how big are you actually? Like I went to uh, Tennessee at Arizona, and I won't say which player it was over in Knoxville. Sat on the floor, called Matt. I said, dude, they're lying about this height. Like it is not even in the ballpark right now. Like this is a lie. And he was like, like, yeah, me. no, I needed you to see that like for yourself. <laughs> so that kind of stuff. That's why I love Combine Week. Should be named national. The general public gets to find out how tall these guys actually are week um, just because teams lie. And that's their job, make their players look good. So uh, it is very important to me, although, you know, it's, it's not to understate the value of film, but you got to get up there too. Sure. And then one follow-up for me, you know, these, these front offices are, you know, advanced analytics and data science and digging into stats. Um, I think the casual fan on Twitter is looking at, you know, points per game, rebounds per game, assist, maybe, maybe some folks are looking at assist to turnover ratio and, you know, true shooting percentage, like maybe that's as advanced as they get. 
when you're looking at stats, which I think is probably another piece of the equation here, what are some of the things you look at that are good indicators of this player, like the things he does could translate at the next level? Yeah, that's a great question. So as soon as I left the Thunder, I actually went and joined and helped start a basketball analytics company called Sports Info Solutions. So, you know, it's classically trained as an eye test in-person scout. And then this was my introduction into the numbers and analytics side of the game. And that's why I feel fairly well-rounded because I see the value of both. And it pains me almost when people just stick in a corner of I am only eye test and I don't care about the numbers or I will draft based on a spreadsheet and I don't care about the personal touch of that because I don't think either is correct. You know, I love using analytics as a tool where Matt will call me, hey, what 10 players do I need to watch? A lot of times I'll start with the numbers. Be like, okay, well, based on these, let's go see who we like. Um, I really love, you know, true shooting percentage. I think steal percentage is important to me because it shows their activity on defense generally in synergy. Um, you know, a lot of analytics, analytic defensive numbers are kind of trash and it's not the fault of the collector at all. It's just incredibly difficult to calculate anything defensively. Hmm. So I use steal percentage um, at SIS, they still do great work. So like they, everything from rotations to how you guard pick and rolls, they kind of calculate all that kind of stuff. And those, those are the numbers I like to dive into, but true shooting to me is, it's kind of the one of like, okay, it takes into value or takes into account various different parts of shooting on the floor. And that's just kind of like a good collective number to me. That's super fascinating. Uh, Derek, before we move on and really pick your brain on, uh, what you saw at the combine and, and what you've seen from some of these 2022 NBA draft prospects. Uh, can you just dive into a little bit um, without, I don't know, divulging too many things uh, on what you did whenever you were with the Oklahoma city thunder and how that led to your transition to where you are today? Yeah. So I'm from a small town in Tennessee, uh, Cleveland, Tennessee. I graduated from Lee university there, uh, which was NAI when I was there. It's a D2 now. The first job out of school, I moved to Austin, Texas, and I know I've, I've now seen the both sides of the Austin or the Texas and OU side of things. <laughs> I started in the business office, in the development office for UT football and basketball. So I was just immediately into Texas is the greatest school on the planet. We have the best of everything. <laughs> OU is awful and all their people is awful. I was there about eight months. Athletic director changed. My 30-person department got laid off. My boss at the time had worked for the Thunder previously in the business office and linked me up with a job. And I moved up here in August of 2016. So I immediately introduced myself in the business office as a season ticket account manager. Um, wasn't selling anything new. I was helping take care of all the um, already current clients and season ticket holders. So I went straight relationship building right off the bat. And of course I heard, oh, you're from Texas. I was like, hey, I was there eight months. I'm so sorry. Please do not hold this against me. And then I got indoctrinated with, oh, you're the greatest thing in the world. Texas sucks. And <laughs> my wife and I stayed here. So we'll leave that where it is. Um, but <laughs> I, I loved I loved working in the Thunder business office for two reasons. One, greatest people on the planet, just top to bottom. Everything from Clay um, all the way down to Danny Barth. I say all the way down. He's the CFO. All the way down to <laughs> <laughs> Danny, all the way down to even like the maintenance staff, like just nice down to earth, like wholesome people. And I owe a lot of my career to them. Um, I'm gonna, I'll shout three guys out, Brent Kaufman, Chris Sorrells, and Scott Loft trusted me when they knew kind of what I want to do with my career and allowed me to do the things that I am. 
So I thank them very much and always will. They will always get credit in wherever I am in my career. But what I think the Thunder did the most for me, one, it created relationships, but it helped get me out of my shell. I was super introverted. Like right before I graduated from Lee, I actually had an industrial engineering job lined up. I was all about process, fast, do it efficient. Don't talk to me. I'll see you tomorrow. Like that, that was me to a T. So all of a sudden I'm here and it's like, okay, well, you're going to adapt or you're going to fail. Like you have to be a relationship driven guy. Um, so I, that kind of helped me come out of my shell basketball wise. Um, I had been with the Thunder about 30 days, sent Sam Presti an email. I'm the new guy. I understand this can get me fired, but <laughs> I want to do your job. <laughs> uh, just have some questions. About three days later, met up with him at an Oklahoma City Blue game, picked his brain for an hour. I said, I just, if you'll just point me in the right direction, I won't bother you again. You know, thank you for so much for your insight. Came to work the next morning at 8 a.m. Um, there were three books in my desk. I, that was at like 10 p.m. the night before. <laughs> 8 a.m. the next morning, there's three books in my desk. I still read them over and over. There was a note in there that I will not say what was in it. I keep it on my desk next to my computer even to this day. And he and the basketball team just took me under their wing and showed me, honest to God, everything I know about basketball. So I owe a lot to Sam. Um, took me to the NCAA tournament in 2019. Um, would hang out with the guys at Summer League, Portsmouth, college games, conference tournament, like anything. And then I went with Babcock, Basketball News, SIS. That all has kind of grown from that. But again, both business and basketball side of this organization, everybody in any kind of leadership role like has helped me. Like Mark Dagnall, when he was the blue coach, um, would badge me into the facility and let me watch practice and film <laughs> just to sit there in the corner and absorb and then Grant Gibbs did it too. And just everybody. So I was in the business office, but again, all both sides really helped me get to where I am. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's really, so cool. That's uh, really you mind you mind sharing uh, his email address? I think I might need to <laughs> yeah. send him something. <laughs> My career would be over in about 10 minutes. <laughs> Undo I, all of that. I wonder yeah. if Derek has like you know how sometimes artists will get that that it's kind of like a table that has a light underneath it so you can trace stuff. And it's just traced Sam Presti's signature like over and over and over. <laughs> I tease, I tease. All right, Derek, let's dive into so, some of these prospects. So we, we mentioned at the top of the show, obviously every Thunder fan uh, in the world knows at this point, OKC has pick number two, pick number 12 in this upcoming draft. These are a lot of guys that you have seen in person. Um, so first off, just tell us, Really, it's a three-man race at the top, it feels like. Of those three, who do you like the most? Like, how do you have them layered one, two, three? Who do you think fits best with the current iteration of the Thunder? And as somebody who has some some insight into maybe how uh, the Thunder evaluate people and, and, and really look at these prospects, who would you guess that they would take or want to take at two, if you want to divulge that far? Yeah. So on one hand, my answer to this changes literally by the minute <laughs> doing a mock draft at the top here is it's brutal. And since I've been doing this, it's far and away the hardest because there's truly there is a case and there are NBA people who like four guys at number one. It's not just three. Like I'll just dispel that right off the bat. There is not a big three. There is a big four. And it's Jaden Ivey. Um, so people need to look at it this way. There have been links to the Thunder and Ivy trading up, trading down, picking it to. As far as what I am told, those are real and significant, and there's smoke there. 
So at two or at, you know, at one right now, all everything points to Orlando taking Jabari. Um, that's going to be a dogfight in that front office. There are people in there who are analytics only, and all that points to Chet. There are guys who say we need skill, and all that points to Bancaro. And then there are those in that front office that love upside, and those point to Jabari. Hmm. So that's going to be an absolute dogfight down there in Orlando. Everything that I've heard is that they love Paolo, but Jabari's probably the guy if the draft were tomorrow, hmm. which obviously that leaves the Thunder, Paolo, Chet, and Ivy. My gut tells me that Paolo would be the pick. Hmm. Um, I think that of those three, he is the most ready on day one that you can put at the top of the key with the ball and say, I need two points. To me, he's the one that gets that done. Um, I think he has the most NBA-ready skill set. No clue who he guards. I have no clue who he defends in the NBA. You know, fours might be too quick. Fives are going to be too big and strong. That's where Jabari has the edge in a lot of front offices' minds is that he is like a potential second, third team all-NBA defender um, if it really clicks and he dives in. I know the love is Ch- the love for Chet is there, um, but there are genuine concerns from people around the league. Like, I have yet to receive a call from a – director of scouting, assistant GM, or general manager that has told me we have Chet number one. Hmm. I've heard Jabari. I've heard Paolo. I've heard Ivy. Um, if that smoke screens, they're doing a great job. If they're all hiding that they actually have Chet number one, that that is a real possibility, but I trust these people. So I think, I think that Jabari does end up going one if it's today. Um, Paolo's the dark horse to Orlando there at the top. What do you think it is with Chet? I mean, obviously the, you know, the frame concerns, I think are the ones that get called out the most. Is it as simple as that or is there more to it? Yeah, it's, it's probably as simple as that. Um, there are some people as far as like team doctors, nutritionists, all that kind of stuff, like worried, will he actually put on weight? Like, can he actually do that? Now I will dispel. There are people out there who says, you know, he's not tough. He's not, he doesn't like contact, whatever. Like that's not true at all. Like Chet is as fiery competitive Um, mentally tough and physically tough like as they come invites contact is not afraid of it at all so if you look at him as the top guy that's why you say i know there are concerns about the body but he's not afraid of anything he he genuinely is fearless has been for years um so i'll give chet that um but i think there are also you know some people you hear oh i think his perimeter game is underrated personally at this point i actually go the other way i think it might be a little bit overrated um I know in transition, he's a nightmare to defend. But in the half court on an NBA floor, if you cannot use your shoulders, if you cannot put your chest into somebody to get downhill, it is going to be difficult to create your own shot. I think he's going to be a catch-and-shoot, 40% three-point guy. He's going to be near the league leading in block shots. But I don't think Chet can go out there and just team on my back, I'm going to go win the game for the next 10 minutes, where I think in years one and two, Paolo's going to show the flashes that can actually become like that dude because he has that offensive skill set in the half court. So think about Jaden Ivey and obviously NBA Twitter, their, their big boards, their mock drafts and their opinions on, on the top two guards are very different and mean nothing relative to these front offices. But I think if you were to go on Twitter and just pull the, the average NBA fan, Jaden Sharp, Jaden Ivey, I think Sharp probably wins the poll. Um, 
that's likely because there's no tape on him besides the few one on zero highlights. And that's what fans latch on to. Um, so what is it about Jaden that you think these front offices like to the point where some people have been saying maybe number one, and then what is it about Shaden that scares people away outside of, of the lack of tape and, and no college experience and all those types of things? Yeah, for Shaden, it really is just the lack of college tape. I mean, I, I, I want to say it might have been y'all that put up the top 10 high school prospects from this last year going yep. in. Yep. That is why that is one of the reasons the one and done is still in place. Yep. I mean, I haven't seen a fall from grace in a while quite like Caleb Houston and Pat Baldwin. Yeah. I mean, both like even Jaden Hardy, 10, top number two in the Hardy. class. Yeah. Top eight, top 10 guys coming into the year. And now, like, I don't even know if Baldwin should stay in. I don't know if he's, I have serious doubts if he's a first rounder, hmm. uh, all this kind of stuff. And, and Sharp, that's a little bit of the, the hesitation. What I think NBA Twitter doesn't understand, and again, it's not their fault. That's why I don't harp on this. I don't go on rants on Twitter. When you you don't just pick a player, a GM has to walk into his owner and say, I need the okay from you. And I'm here to convince you that I'm going to spend $60 million of your money <laughs> in the next five years on this kid. What were the college numbers? Doesn't have any. Then we're not taking him. Like, again, like <laughs> some GMs have the ability. Sam has that and will forever wherever he is. And I believe he has earned that. Um, there are a lot of GMs who that is not the case. It's, okay, do we need to keep a star happy? Ooh, I know COVID really hit our bank account. We need to win now, so we're not taking the high upside player. Hello, Keegan Murray and not Shaden Sharp. Like, that stuff matters, and it's it's not just talent, draft, move on. Um, thing about Ivy that people love, one, he is every bit of, as explosive as he looks, but he is the ultimate Kobe-like alpha in practice and in the game every single day. He's the guy you want to bring in who, for 40 minutes, his goal is to make sure that you know he's better than you. And you have to have that in your best player. You do. I think in your first or second best player, you have to have that if you're going to be successful. He's a dog. Um, yeah, and he's a dog. And I, I talked to some college coaches both at Purdue and other Big Ten schools, and I said, hey, like, did he ever rub people the wrong way? Um you know, what does this look like in practice? What does this look like pregame? And we're like, yeah, he used to absolutely like take heat from people. I can't believe you actually took that shot in this game. <laughs> but Jaden, one, he has the stones. Two, it's truthful when he turns to you and says, I took 500 of those two nights ago. You go, oh, okay, then you've earned the right to take that shot. And that is the makeup of Ivy to go along with the elite athleticism that you cannot teach. You see that pair again, very similar to the way Russ was wired out of UCLA. Are there, is there stuff to figure out? Yes. Is shooting definitely a question mark, not a huge concern, but like a question. Yes. That's elite bounce. And he's a dog. We can start there. And that's why teams, that's why your traditional non analytically driven front offices like him. And, and the lottery was so important to how this played out. Like, had the lottery gone Houston, Sacramento, Orlando, I'm going, yep, we're going Chet, Paolo, Jabari, mark it down. This is not a conversation. But the way it fell is why it's hard. 
Eric, I have two follow-ups for you real quick yeah. on, on things that you've talked about here in like the last five minutes. So first one, early on, you were talking about 50% of what you do is, is the video, right? Is seeing guys on tape. The other 50% is getting in the gym, shaking their hand, just getting that vibe, that aura from them. Um, I don't know where the, all this stuff has originated from, but there has started to, to bubble up some, some questions about Paulo Bancaro, maybe as far as like locker room character type of stuff. Um, again, I, you have to excuse me if I, if I dig a little too deep. Um, and if anything you don't want to answer, just tell me to shut the hell up. <laughs> and have you got any of that vibe from Paulo? Where a GM uh, might go in and and be rubbed the wrong way by this kid. No, not personally, and I have not gotten any phone calls that express that either. Um, maybe teams who have found out that info are keeping it buried very well, so that only they know it. Um, personally, like I know there was an incident when he got onto campus early um, in the year. I, I don't know if it was it was something where he got a ticket for something and pulled over. That was never brought back up to me or I have not heard it on a phone call where we've been with our like clients or teams that it's like a huge concern. So that's, does it sit there like maybe a little, but there's nothing that pops off to me that like worries me. No. Fascinating. The other thing that you mentioned, I wanted to follow up on, we were talking about shade and sharp and you said, you know, the GM's got to go into the owner's office and, and convince him, Hey, we're about to spend all of your money. And the owner has to give that GM the okay to draft that guy. You also talked at the very beginning about, you know, Clay Bennett all the way down to, to you know, the, the, the janitors um, at, I guess, back whenever you were with the Thunder, it wasn't the Paycom Center yet. Uh, so the, the Chesapeake Energy Arena. What is your sense with that relationship with, with Sam Presti and Clay Bennett? Because from the outside looking in, it seems like Sam Presti could go into Clay Bennett's office and say, I want to draft this trash can number 12 overall. <laughs> And Clay would be like, God damn it, let's do it. I'm ready to go. Uh, that that there's that level of trust. Um, from your perspective, does is that there? Yeah, it's ultimate trust. Um, top to bottom, as far as I know, there are no questions. Like it is a blind, you know, yes, like Clay trusts Sam, make the right pick. But Sam also un- operates and always has in a way that protects Clay to get it right. Uh, I can say, like, even some of the, the home run and Hail Mary swings Sam's taken, they've never been reckless. Like, if I can say anything, he is extremely calculated in everything he does. Um, and it's all done with a two-way street of trust there that's really, really tight. So, yeah, that that's real. Um, <laughs> if you want to draft a trash can 12, Clay would probably okay it. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. So you, you- – you had a, a comment earlier about the way the lottery shook out, like really affects how this draft could turn out in the top five, as it sits today. Is there anybody that whether this is a sense you get from teams or more just speculation on, on team building in general, it's a philosophy. Are there any teams in the top five that are at the point where you can say, let's draft for positional need or do you think everybody in the top five is you kind of have to go best available like whether it's guard forward center i think pretty much in every single top five every single year you're going just best player available uh, regardless because you're only there because you need the talent 
So whatever talent is there, you take. Orlando a little bit is maybe we don't need to take another guard or maybe we don't need to take another four, which again, you have Wagner. Um, but again, Jabari's very different than Wagner. So that's where you can, you know, Wagner puts it on the deck and is awesome. Jabari's weakness is that he really struggles dribbling and creating for for himself. So Wagner and Paolo kind of get in each other's way there where the games are somewhat similar. Um, Rockets. I mean, at this point, I've heard that even if the Rockets had gotten four or five, like Ivy may not have been on the table because him and Jalen Green may be kind of difficult to play together. Um, my understanding was that Detroit, whether they had gotten one or five, Ivy was like the target. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, Ivy and Cade together, it's been stressed to me that that's kind of a goal. And that's why I think, you know, we right now we have Ivy mocked to the Kings at four. I don't think the Kings will be picking at four. So I think Sharp, or I think, you know, Sharp will go fourth maybe, or I think Ivy has a chance to end up in Detroit. Everybody else up there, I think it's just talent. You are up here because either a lack of talent or the talent's very young. So it's tough to justify passing on a guy who's super talented because we already have one, even though the one we already have resulted in us picking third. So you kind of said earlier who you thought the Thunder uh, would pick if you were making that decision based off what the Thunder have now and kind of where they're trending, what they're putting together, what they're building, who would you say is the best fit for the Thunder moving forward? Yeah, if Jabari goes one to Orlando, personally today, I probably take Bancaro. I would take Bancaro or Ivy at two. What about with with the backcourt situation in Oklahoma City? Kind of talk me through what you're thinking with Ivy and that. I know we're talking, you know, probably taking best available, but Oklahoma City does have, you know, a lot of prospects in the backcourt. Yeah. Uh, I used to be afraid of like three-guard lineups. And then when we ran, because I was still with the team when we ran Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder. Was and Shea. Was that Shea? Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Man, that makes me feel so old that I literally <laughs> forgot if it was Shea or Russ. That is shameful. I'm absolutely going to get texts about that. That's going to be a problem. Uh, but yeah, but like I saw that three-guard lineup work, and I am just no longer afraid mm. of a three-guard lineup. So you give me Shea, Giddy, and Ivy. I think the question definitely becomes how do we get Dort on the floor? Yep. Um but again, if Dort and Trey Mann are your second unit and you always have one of those first guys on the floor, you put a rim protector back there, aka Mark Williams at 12 if he's there, you're going to be really difficult to beat. Like the, that is some supreme talent just across the board and you're always going to have one of them out there. Yeah, I'm I'm not super worried about um, you know, Ivy or Sharp or something like that if if that's who the pick was about it working cuz Billy showed us it can be done. Interesting. So you mentioned just a few minutes ago when we were talking about Jaden Ivy and four and the Pistons at five, you, you said you guys have Ivy mocked currently to Sacramento at four. You don't think they're going to make a pick there. Um, no. Is that a, some people, um, I believe it was Henry Abbott tweeted over the weekend that, um, you know, maybe Sacramento tries to move up and, and he thinks the Thunder could be a team to go from two to four uh, drop back here. Uh, maybe pick up a future asset. Um, maybe the Kings are are a team that trades back or out to get more win now talent. We know their GM is uh, under a directive from their owner, like 
playoffs or bust this year. Uh, you want to talk about the opposite of what you just mentioned, Sam Presti and, and Clay Bennett have. Uh, so I want to ask you on both ends of that. Number one, do you think the Thunder would consider, like heavily consider trading out of two, uh, considering that the whole point of kind of what they did at the end of the season and, and playing so many young guys and, and losing so many games is arguably to get into that top two to make the selection of who you want. Do you think there's, there's any chance of that happening? And then number two, uh, just on the King side side of things, what do you think their goal is um, w- with that four pick? Do you think it's to move up or to move down? If the Thunder have their eyes set on one of the big three, then I do not see a world where they trade out. Because even even at the end of the day, I feel like those three guys are going at the first three picks. I don't know who will be picking with the first three, but I really don't see a world where it's not them. Um, if Sacramento trades up to two, it's to get, in my opinion, it's for Chet. That is for Chet. I mean, it, it just has it written all over it, how those guys operate, what they value in prospects. My belief from this side, that's for Chet. So if Sam wants Chet, no, you do not trade that pick at all. If for some reason you're dead set on Ivy, which is funny, like we had kind of heard rumblings of this and then the Abbott thing came out and I was like, okay, so like we're not the only one hearing this. If you have your eyes set on Ivy, yes, feel feel free to go to four because I don't think Houston's going to take him. So if you can gain an asset and still get the player you want, do it. Like do it. Um, then it becomes how good at your job are you? Is Houston being offered stuff to move out of three because there's nothing worse than making a plan that's safe and drop back and then getting jumped like oh man that happens at least once every year and you just feel sick for the team because like no one will ever know but there's a gm somewhere who just got their heart ripped out because he thought he had it and didn't know that he was going to get jumped so i don't see houston trading out of three i think they're happy to take hey whoever is here we're going to take them they're three incredibly rare prospects um the only way you trade out of two i think is if you're dead set on Ivy. So if there is a deal from now until 10 minutes for the draft, Hey, the thunder have moved from two to four. That would tell me Jaden Ivy's the guy. Fascinating. Yeah. I've got a, a center question and just in the modern NBA and, and everyone's going to point to like, look at the, the final four teams right now. They don't have a traditional center. I mean, a couple, a couple of plays go a different way and we could have a completely different narrative right now. If the Sixers were in it or, you know, whoever, um, so looking at the centers in this class, you've got, you know, Duran, you've got Chet, who's a center, but like is a little bit different you know, from a traditional center. Um, but then you get down to the, the Mark Williams, the Walker Kesslers, the Coloco, the Kamigates, like h- how much of a gap do you see between the like projected lottery centers that we have today versus that kind of next tier that seems to be like a late first, early second round kind of group? Yeah, uh, significant. I think if any team wants one of those centers, you're taking them in the lottery. Uh, that That's what I would do. Like right now we have Duran at nine to San Antonio, Mark Williams to 12 to OKC. Um, taking Chet and Mark Williams would be weird. Like, yes, it's a lot of length. It's a lot of potential. Yeah. I just don't know how it fits because Chet's going to be a five in the NBA. Yeah. He, he doesn't, he doesn't initiate in the half court enough, in my opinion, to be like a three or four. Um, so I think for, for Duran and Williams, you're looking at probably 15 
I'm sorry if I keep, I get my other screen over here. I'm looking at our board. Uh, 15, that second Hornets pick to me is like the bottom yep. for both. Like that's like the floor. Charlotte, Charlotte needs a big. One of them's going at 13 or 15 to them. And neither Spurs or Thunder, in my opinion, probably taking the other one. Um, we have Kessler at 26 right now. I have question marks on whether or not he's a first. Some teams have real concerns on how he moves. I think in our latest iteration, right before the mock or right before the draft, our latest projections, we probably have him early 30s. And then you kind of get into Coloco, probably very close behind him. Some of the international bigs um, are actually really interesting. Like you have Kamagate, you have a couple other guys who aren't officially in yet. So we're, we don't have them in the draft. Um, but I think if you want a center, you take one of those first two in the lottery. And even then, Duran's only like six nine. Yeah. You know, it's it's he's more your Derek Favors, Montres Harrell type, where Mark Williams is like, that's a seven footer yeah. who doesn't have to jump to block everything. Right. So that's why I think there's actually a chance that Williams goes first, depending on uh, yeah. how that shakes up at the back, uh, back of the 10. Quite literally don't have to jump with that nine foot nine standing reach. <laughs> stupid. Just stupid. He kind of looks like me whenever I put the rim at six and a half feet. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and he moves so well and he's going to crush interviews. Like teams are going to love him. Like he is, he's going to skyrocket. Uh, so I, I think Williams is like, he may not be there at 12, so but I want, I want him to be. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, before we dive in, we want to get into some stuff about that pick 12 as well. Uh, let's take a quick break to tell everybody uh, about who's sponsoring the pod this week. What's up, Thunder fans? This is Jacob from the Uncontested Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that we have fully redesigned our merch store to get you the best Thunder swag available. Just visit cottonbureau.com and search the Uncontested Podcast to find all of our new designs. That's C-O-T-T-O-N-B-U-R-E-A-U.com and search The Uncontested Podcast to find new drops like Josh Giddy's Wizard of Oz or an ode to the Trey Man Step Back. We've also got all the classics like Dortal Combat, Lu Tang Clan, and everyone's favorite MVP, Shea Gilgis Alexander. The best part? You can get any design in the style of apparel you want. So if you're gearing up for the summer and want a tank top, needing a hoodie for the winter in Australia, or you're wanting a Pokemon onesie for your baby, we've got you covered. Make sure to go to cottonbureau.com and search The Uncontested Podcast to get your new Thunder gear today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Derek, let's shift back over to to pick 12 that the Thunder own. There's a guy that I love there, and I want you to tell me your thoughts on him. And it seems like kind of some of the, the buzz that's coming out of the combine. You might just be telling me why I'm an idiot, even thinking he will be there at 12. Dyson Daniels. I do not think he'll be there at 12. Um, I think we might need to chill out a little bit on the top five thing because there have been a bunch of outlets. I think we're now up to eight people that are top five. Wow. I'm just going to go on a little, a little mini soapbox here. Um, if people want to make an opinion, that's fine. At the end of the day, we're all making educated guesses based on our guts and based on our intel and our work. There is no science here. We will all get it wrong. Anybody acts like they always get it right. Ignore them because that's not how this works. <laughs> that being said, if you make a statement of, oh, this guy is top five, you should be required to tell me who's not top five anymore. I okay. Love that. Well, this is a top three play. Great. Tell me which one of Jabari, Paolo, and Chet you're moving so that I know what you value because you can't just stake your claim on an island on a guy and not tell me who you were moving because every pick has hundreds of opportunity costs for the players you're leaving on the table. That's the whole thing. I, I apologize. <laughs> but I love it. I do think Daniels is going to be like a six to 10 guy. Mm. Um, Spurs written all over him. In my opinion, he does not get best eight at new Orleans. Mm. That to me just seems like a perfect fit. Um, I think if there's a way that the thunder move up from 12, which I'll wait a little bit later. I do think that is like a possibility. Uh, but I think Matherin, Griffin, Keegan, Dyson Daniels, that probably rounds out the top eight or nine, in my opinion. Um, so, But that New Orleans pick at eight, I really have a hard time seeing him getting past that. I mean, he screams Spurs as well. So I love it. My understanding is that he and Giddy have a good relationship. I think it would be awesome. Um, you can make it work with all these guys, but – I just I don't know about twelve anymore. I think he's I think his stock's rising too quickly. Quick follow up on that, real quick. Um, you talked about everyone loves the combine because you get the real measurements and not whatever the hell the college throws on the paper on the brochure. Uh, Dyson measures in what at was it six seven and a half with like a a crazy positive wingspan. I think from the outside looking in, for people like me, I see some of these guys measure and I say, oh, that measurement came in a little bit bigger than we thought. I bet that starts to slide him up boards a little bit. Is there any validity to that? Or am I just blowing smoke up everybody's ass? No, that's real. Um, I think, so this is where I do value the film. Like let's say a guy comes in and he measures an inch shorter than you thought. I, I don't ever overreact to someone being shorter. One, because I will have seen them. Like man, I make a point. We see our top 60, top 75 in person at least twice every year. Like there's no one we have not seen. Um, that being said, even if you measure short, then you go watch the film and the film is still consistent. 
I don't care. It's like, okay, that's fine. But like, he's still, he's still put together this incredible body of work that we see in the tape. Now a guy comes in with a massive wingspan. Now I'm interested. Um, Jalen Williams is an example. That being said, everybody's like, oh, he has long arms. Therefore he should be X. Another guy we may need to chill out about. Not we as in you guys, as in other people who are like, oh, he's a lottery pick. No, dude, like everybody stop. Do I think he's probably solidified him as a first? Yes. I mean, heck of a combine. What a week for Williams. <laughs> what worries me, my one knock on him, great in pick and roll, great shooter, tremendous passer, uh, really, really struggles as a defender. Really, really rough. Now I know you're a rough defender with a plus nine wingspan. It is no longer do you have short arms. There are issues with the way you play defense. So that's kind of how I look at that measurement. So every measurement you can put as much stock in as you want. Um, vertical for me is the one that matters. Interesting. Um, because if you're not an NBA athlete, you better be elite at a couple other things if you want to hang in the league, which is why Trey Mann was an interesting pick to me in the teens last year. Hmm. Went to Miami to watch him work out. I was a little underwhelmed with him as far as a vertical athlete, but the way he creates space on his shots with his snatchbacks, his pull-ups out of pick and roll in isolation, just how much room he's able to create for himself. I was like, the tape is here. I don't care that he's not an explosive athlete. Look at how much room he creates without being that kind of athlete. But again, he's a dime a dozen to me. Um, I care about the verticals. So guys who jump super well, I'm going to put a little bit of a stock in. And then guys who jump very poorly, that's going to bring up some concerns for me. Does that bring us back to Patrick Baldwin Jr. like you mentioned yeah. earlier? Yeah. Every, every combine, I have one tweet that just pops off. Uh, <laughs> last year it was Kennedy Chandler breaking the vertical, uh, vertical record. And then this year it was Pat Baldwin being the fourth lowest vertical since 2011. Um, I've never measured my own vertical before, but I want to go see if I can jump higher than Patrick Baldwin Jr. I doubt I can, but it would just be fun. That's maybe my bar, <laughs> my measurement. I'm going to start hitting calf raises more at the gym and see if I can, uh, if I can match PBJ. He went he went 23 and a half standing, 26 max. Which again, at that size, if you look at him as a prospect and it's like, all I need you to do is be Ryan Anderson. Just a couple boards. I need you to stand in the corner, move on the wings and hit threes. And I need you to do nothing else. Okay. Then that really doesn't bother me a whole lot because I'm never going to ask you to use that vertical as a part of your game. It's another thing that really, really rubs me wrong on Twitter. Precious Achua was a good example. Well, Precious Achua has trouble like dribbling and initiating, blah, blah, blah. Great. No one's going to ask him to do that <laughs> at the next level. That's literally not going to be his job at all. So Belt Baldwin, while it's super concerning, mm. there will be teams who don't put a ton of stock into it because they didn't look at him as a, I need you to be an NBA athlete on the floor. Anyway, they have a specific use for him, which probably doesn't actually involve jumping a whole lot because that shot is pure. It is. That shot is pure. I mean, it's beautiful. Um, so it's concerning somebody like he'll drop because of it, but there, there are definitely teams out there who probably say, I don't care. Well, one guy that I've come around on a bit, um, Keegan Murray, I was not super high on him. A month ago um similar to you like I, i'm not in i'm not in the room like you are a lot of times talking to these guys like i wasn't at the combine 
but I went back to media central and listened to almost everybody's audio. And, and he stuck out to me. Like he, he is a quiet guy, but he straight up said like, when I touch the floor, I'm a different player. Like between the lines, you're not going to find anybody as competitive as me. And in listening to that and then going back and watching him play even more, he's, he's not a, a sexy player. Like he's not going to go do these flashy highlight reel type things that is going to get NBA Twitter jumping. Um, but he does a lot of things that I think can help a team. I wouldn't be shocked if he went four at Sacramento, like if they fall in love with him. Um, if, if you were to sell somebody who'd never watched him play before, like like how do you view him as a prospect? Yeah, I mean, what you see is what you get with him. I don't think the ceiling is crazy high. I think he has the highest floor out of anybody in, honestly, maybe the top 10. He might have the highest floor. Like, you know, you're going to get a rebounder, defender, facilitator, spot-up shooter, transition guy, energy, motor. You're going to get all those things. As far as my conversations, great teammate. Um, I have not gotten one speck of negative intel on him. So I just think, like, again, it's not going to be sexy. He's not going to go and give you 40 some nights. But when he is not on the floor, you are going to feel it. And, again, that's a guy you take in the top 10. That's the guy you take in the top 10, um, which again, same thing like for Chet, like when he's not on the floor, you know it, you know, he's not on there. Cause now the opposing team is not afraid to go to the rim where if he's on the floor, you like, you know, they're not even going Keegan again, in, in a different way, you know, he's not out there and there's a hole. So again, it's not the sexiest pick um, safe. I don't want to use the word safe because I think he's better than that. If that makes sense, like mm-hmm. he's just going to be as reliable as they get. It's like he's the equivalent of taking just like an absolute hoss at left tackle. Yeah, you know it's not sexy, right? But whoo, man, I'm glad we picked him. Yeah. One of those. I'm a Bengals fan, so like I was offensive line through, through <laughs> the free agency when we got Leo Collins. Oh, uh, don't talk about it. I'm sorry. I just realized you were in Dallas. That's on me. <laughs> uh, but that's that's what Keegan is. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna have highlight tapes of Keegan Murray but I'm damn glad he's on my team. Definitely. So we talked a little bit about Oklahoma city at 12 and you mentioned earlier, you thought maybe there was some smoke to them trying to move up. So I'm curious if OKC picks at 12, who do you think they're eyeballing? And if they don't pick at 12 and they move up, what do you think they're, they're trying to get with that move? Yeah. In my mind, Mark Williams is the perfect fit need a center, need some length, need some rim protection. If you believe it's Chet, take him at two. If you don't, Mark Williams at 12 seems like a great fit. Um, honestly, like you have to watch out for the Hornets taking 13 and 15 and trying to get to 10 or 11 to get him. It's one of the things where like the best GMs do their homework and they know what other people are doing. It's going to be very important because Charlotte has the ammo to, to jump you. Um, Dyson Daniels, if he's there, I do agree with you. A name that is, I won't say polarizing, but definitely up and down, depending on who you talk to, is A.J. Griffin. You know, I think if, if you have a world where Matherin, Duran, Ty Ty, Mark Williams, Daniels go ahead, all of a sudden Griffin has fallen to 11, and now you're legitimately trying to figure out, like, is he there at our pick? Um, my kind of dark horse actually sparked a conversation between me and Taylor, you know, two nights ago. Uh, Malachi Branham is a name to watch for me there at 12. I no longer think Branham gets out of the lottery. So he's a guy to watch. Fascinating. Um, you just mentioned AJ Griffin. So if the Thunder tried to, to jump up, do you think that's, 
that's a guy that that they would target. I mean, this team, the Thunder last season, league worst in three point shooting percentage. Uh, could definitely use some spacers for guys like Giddy to kick out to. Shea uh, literally just lives in a, in the paint. He's got a tent down there. He's got a little campfire. Like leads the league in drives per game. They need some elite guys that they can kick out to who can hit some open shots. Is, is AJ uh, the type of guy that you think they would trade up for? And in that bucket of like AJ Griffin and Benedict Matherin and and Shaden Sharp and all, all these different two slash threes, these kind of tweener wings uh, that we're seeing there in the mid lottery. How do you have those guys ranked? Yeah. Um, I, I personally wouldn't trade up um, to go get Griffin too high. If I really wanted him, would I trade up to, you know, nine, 10 to nine, 10, 11, if I had to, yes, I wouldn't take him in that five, six range. I would probably take Ivy and sharp just with the ceilings of, of those guys ahead of him. I think what's interesting is the best front offices do their homework when guys are in high school. And a lot of people, a lot of some NBA Twitter think, oh, just because there's a one and done rule, you know, maybe these guys aren't watched in high school. Griffin is just not the same player he was when he was a top five prospect in the country as a sophomore and junior. Um, he had a knee injury kind of, I think it was during his senior year, if I remember correctly. And he's just, he's just not the same. He used to be like an elite off the dribble. I will, I will drive. I'll get right past you. I'll put it on your head. He's six six, huge, like great frame, long arms, tree trunk legs, and could get up and just explode over you. I worry a little bit about him being able to just burn people off the dribble at the, in on an NBA floor. Um, had some trouble doing that at Duke, but what he did is made himself a bona fide, what near fifty percent three point shooter. If medicals come back from your doctor and you believe we can make this kid what he was in high school, you go get him at five, period. You go get him. Um, If you don't believe that and you think just like the injury is going to hinder him, he may never be the same. He's a spot-up shooter. You know, sure, maybe move up to nine or ten if you have to. Probably a guy you let come to you. Um, Again, the athleticism on an NBA floor from college is just – it's so different. Like it's not even, it's not even close. Um, that's where Matherin is a tremendous vertical athlete. He's going to walk out on an NBA floor day one. The athleticism is not going to be an issue at all. So we have Matherin ahead of him right now, just by one spot. Um, and then we have like Johnny Davis, Ty Ty, that group kind of behind him. So Griffin and Matherin, again, of those little like two, three wings, those two do stand alone in my mind, but the real, real eval is going to come from, do you think he can get back to sophomore, junior, high school, A.J. Griffin? So we've talked a lot about 2-12, and 12, which makes sense. Like those are those are the best picks that they're having this draft, and there's a chance they take a guy that ends up being a face of the franchise at one of those two picks. Like there's no guarantee the guy they take at 12 doesn't end up being better than the guy they take at 2. Uh, when, you, when you look at 30 and 34, I think there's, there's two ways to look at it. There's guys that are going to fall from that, 22 28 range that, that followed you there's also guys like we've seen it with sam presti with beat Krejci a couple of years ago i didn't even have him on my radar you Blew know they my took, mind. took him at 34 Blew my mind <laughs> so so there's the the guys that fall that you know and, and it happens every year you see the tweets oh this guy's falling oh my gosh he's falling more like we've got to take him here they don't but then there's the flip side where there's the guys that are mocked or, or put on big boards at 40 to 50 that ended up 
getting taken at 30, 34 um, in a vacuum. There's no way for you to sit here and know exactly who's going to be available at 30 and 34. Um, who are some guys in that range that you think fit the thunder, what they're trying to do the long-term vision um, position aside that would, that would be Presty kind of picks. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think the thunder will take home run swings at the top, low floor, super high ceiling. It's probably what you do. 30, 34. The JRE pick was very telling to me yeah. of what we're going to value there. Um, we actually, we had JRE mocked to that pick last year. We wow. had, we had JRE mocked to one. And then didn't have two. It was like pick, then a gap, then another one. Yeah, uh-huh. it was, I think it was 34, 36. They moved to 32, I think. Yeah. So we had JRE and Aldama mocked there. And turns out that's what they wanted. Memphis caught wind. They were going to take Aldama. Memphis traded to 30 to get him. Thunder said, oh, crap, we need JRE. Move up to 32. And it kind of tells me it's a little bit more of the safe, high floor, low ceiling guy at that point in the draft. So to me, those guys, I mean, Wendell Moore Jr. from Duke is a guy that I could see him going 20th. I could see him going 40th. Um, I think it's a pretty wide range. He's a junior. A lot of people are going to say, oh, he's old, this, this, this. He is going to be 20.8 years old on draft night, which as a junior is actually very young. Yeah. 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 So he is a guy that as a, you know what you're getting, um, great teammate, active defender, tested super well at the combine, which that's why I kind of think like the Heat may go up there and steal him at 27. I think that's kind of fits like a glove. But he's a guy to watch that is young enough to fit the long-term plan, but is not like a spotlight stealer, just a solid all-around glue guy. Um, I would love for David Roddy to go at 34. He David David's my dude. One of my best one of my best stories from a game this year. I was in I was in Fort Collins. Go to a game. I'm sitting with the SID of Colorado State, and I was like, "Hey, like you know whatever his name was." I said, "Shoot it to me straight." I talked to this kid before the game. I liked him. Thought he was a good kid. Everything checks out. Everything I've been told checks out. What's the What's the deal? This man looks me straight in my face. He goes, "That over there." I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "That's my 21 year old daughter." I said, "Okay." He goes, "I would love for that girl to marry David Roddy." And I said, "That's probably all I need to know." Yeah, that's I was <laughs> like, I think I'm good at this point. So I talked to David. Great kid. Uh, it is yet to be seen if he's going to stay in the draft. So he's one. I hope he stays in. I think he's awesome. Analytics teams will like him. Tested well. I think he went 6'5 to 40-ish and jumped a 35. Like, this dude's like an NFL defensive tackle. Like, this guy's <laughs> huge, and he's just a bucket. So I would love Roddy. Um, some of your higher upside plays who could be there. Peyton Watson from UCLA. Josh Minot from Memphis, uh, Max Christie from Michigan State. They scream thunder. They scream, we have a chance at a second-round pick. We get to control the contract here at 34. If it works and it clicks, this dude would go 10th in a redraft. All three of those guys. So those are the three I would watch from a like upside standpoint there at the back end. A quick quick follow-up on that because you mentioned age. Um, I think during the draft season, we all talk about He's 18, 18 and a half, 19, 20, whatever. And then two years go by, you know, you, you, you talk about the Jimmy Butler's, the Joel Embiid's like the, the most productive high impact players that are, that are making plays in the playoffs. No one's looking back saying, well, 
Jimmy Butler was, you know, this old when he came in versus, you know, so how much stock do you take? And then how much stock do you think GMs take regardless of if you're rebuilding or, or ready to compete now? Like how much does age truly matter in the long term, in your opinion? That matters to me based on what I think the kid's work ethic is. So if a guy coming out of the draft is 23, um, you know, a lot of those fine motor skills, a lot of those basketball skills, by the time you're 24, you have them or you don't. Generally speaking, that's why if you can get your hand on an 18, 19 year old, you take, you take him. Um, Cause if you trust your development staff, it's going to pan out. Um, if I meet with a kid who's 18 and I don't believe he's going to work hard, being young doesn't matter to me. Like I'll take Wendell Moore, who's 20, who I know is going to work his butt off for five years before I'll take the 18 year old who already thinks he's God's gift to basketball. Yeah. Hmm. You know, so that's, that's where it matters to me. Um, just depends on, again, it's, it's, it's just a number. Some GMs don't care. Yeah. I think less and less are starting to put heavy, heavy stock into it. Your analytics teams, they don't care. Like they do not care. It's what can those guys do for me immediately the next two years on the floor, the numbers say that X, Y, and Z will translate. Age doesn't matter. That's why I think, again, the heat to me, taking a guy like Moore just makes a ton of sense. Um, and let's see, Roddy, I mean, Keon Ellis. Keon Ellis is a guy that I think has a chance to kind of sneak into that 30 to 35 range. Juco, Alabama, two years. I literally, I talked to him last night. Greatest kid in the world. He, know, he understands, I know my role. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm going to be asked to do, and I'm going to perfect that. Dude, I don't care that. I don't care that you're 22 or whatever. I'll take Herb, you. Herb Jones. Herb Yeah. Herb Jones, dude. Herb <laughs> Jones. Man, people were all, oh, Herb Jones isn't good. He can't dribble. He can't this, this, this. He's so old. Herb was a dog from day one, mm-hmm. and he was the nicest human being. The nicest guy, Trey Murphy, the same way. Yep. And the fact they're on the same team, oh, just two of the best kids I've ever had the opportunity to meet. Dude, Herb, that strikes the nerve too. Because Herb was <laughs> Herb was slandered and really underrated by people because of again what he couldn't do. It's like, yeah, you don't know the you don't know the guy. Right. I and, understand. And his, his personality showed out in the playoffs. Yep. Yeah. It's like, okay, but look at the again, look at the physical tools. He has physical tools and work ethic. Great. If that's my starting line, I can take you. I can make it work. Staying in that 30 to 35 range, Derek. Uh, another guy, we, we talked about that high school top 10 that we had tweeted out earlier. Caleb Houston, a guy that came in really highly rated, uh, slid down really far. Some people around uh, the, the um, combine, that's the word I'm looking for, uh, started to mention, oh, maybe he stays. Maybe he's got some sort of promise. Anytime the P word is used, uh, the promise word, just so we're all clear. Uh, I realized that was maybe problematic <laughs> once, I, uh, once I said that. Uh, people automatically assume Oklahoma City Thunder, right? Because they've promised guys in the past. Uh, you know, the rumor what they had promised uh, Cameron Payne at 14. They had promised uh, Reggie Jackson. I think that was at 24. A, do you think Caleb Houston in that 30 to 34 range for Oklahoma city. Does that make sense? And B, can you talk a little bit about your perspective of draft promises and how they relate to the Oklahoma city thunder and Sam Preston? Um, I have been told that, well, I'll say this lightly. 
it was floated to me that the Thunder were the Houston Promise. That being said, this is not a person who I trust for intel or source material. So I have put little to zero stock in that. Um, it came to my ears. I don't really care, though. Um, if that is true, if he's willing to stay in for a promise at 30, I do think that's a great pick. So I, I'm of the opinion he probably needs to go back to school because there were some glaring holes in the game. But, man, if he's willing to come out and be the 30th pick, do it. He's a 6'8", bona fide shooter. And I know that the numbers weren't there. But, again, when you watch it in person, that stroke is pure. And I think he's going to be a really good shooter in the NBA. Again, you're not going to ask him to put it on the deck. So if you look at him through a lens that that's not your job, I just need you to do X. Houston can be great. So I have no clue. I have no you know knowledge, yes or no, if that's the Thunder promise. It would be a promise that I personally probably would be willing to make for whatever that's worth. So we've um, talked about a handful of like chances and swings taken in the draft. We've also talked about some, you know, unexpected picks. I'd like to go back in time a little bit, and I'm curious about your thoughts on Pokushevsky. I'm curious about how you viewed Pokushevsky as a prospect uh, before the draft. And then I'm curious, kind of what are your thoughts now that he's been in the league? How do you see him? developing we know he's a very divisive player um in terms of how people view him so i'm curious to get your take on that poku is by far the weirdest prospect i've ever encountered <laughs> and may never even be remotely touched in that regard i mean just weird you've got a 17 year old who's out here in Greek was he Olympiacos B was he playing for the Greece second division yes. or something like that mm -hmm. um spin moves behind the back blocking your 33 year old guy shot who's driving down the lane um <laughs> it's incredible film some of the film you're like this kid has no idea how to play basketball but the flashes of pure dominance as a teenager I was I was not a Again, Poku should go top five. Okay, great. Like, tell me, is it is it Mobley you're dropping? Like, I need to know who we're dropping here to justify that. There were a lot of those takes. Yeah. Uh, I definitely, where he was taken, I definitely would have also taken him. Um, I maybe would have reached a little higher hmm. just because it's so weird. If it works, we're going to look like a genius here. Um, Thunder had his eye, had their eyes on him from the get-go. His agent i believe it's still his agent used to work for the thunder hmm. so as soon as he signed with i gotta look it up i gotta whoever he signed with i was like oh oh jason uh, uh, ronnie ranny i was like oh okay like i see what's happening here like i see what's happening here so i knew we were all over him um the mavs wanted him bad like dallas wanted him really 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 bad and all the calls we were getting the morning of the draft were who can trade up the farthest to go take him. Hmm. How far does Dallas have to jump? And Josh Green, Josh Green went one pick after, yeah, 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 because yeah, because the Thunder did they have seventeen? Have they moved up. That was that they, Rubio trade. To uh -huh. get to they traded Rubio back to Minnesota to get him. So yeah. that that makes sense if they they probably yeah. overpaid in hindsight. I think a know? lot of people that night, Nick, would argue that, or, and argued on on social media that. Wow, the Thunder paid that much for that pick yeah. seventeen to to jump. Great. I think they jumped from 
like 19 or 20 or 21 to 17. They said yeah. that that's a lot. Yeah. That, that, even, that makes sense. Even if Poku yeah. never pans out, that is not one that I will agree with anybody like second guessing hmm. because that's, he's probably one of the hardest evals ever, Yeah, ever. And that, and that goes back to the GM. If you want a guy, you go get it regardless of the price. If you think he can be the guy, you do it. That's yeah. Like, well, his range is so-and-so. doesn't matter. If 14 wants him, I got to get to 13. Like, we're going to see that with Mark. Mark Williams is going to be that dude this year. That's going to be Mark Williams. In that draft, it was Poku. So, again, if he's a total flop, like, you'll never see any kind of thing from me or anybody that I trust that will say, oh, I can't believe they did that. Dude, the flashes were special. That's the guy you wanted. You go take him. You got him there. That was the cost. You sleep well. You move on. Whatever happens, happens. Fascinating. Yeah. Derek, last one I have for you, um, and then we promise you an hour. It's an hour and seven minutes, so we'll get you out of here. Hey, I'll be I'll be honest. My wife's playing volleyball at an OAC right now. <laughs> I'm all yours until I hear that door open. So we're good. As soon as the door, as soon as Derek hears the garage door open, screen hear, goes black. I hear that key. It's like, see you. <laughs> until then we're good I'll, I'll answer anything some some fascinating news this past week with uh adrian wojanowski on his podcast with mike schmitz um i think kind of confirmed what a lot of thunder fans thought and where he said that oklahoma city last year uh was aggressively trying to trade up to three they they really really wanted uh evan mobley out of usc they were going to have to wrestle him away from uh, Cleveland, uh, just Kobe Altman wasn't willing to to give it up. He knew what he had fallen right there in his lap. Um, knowing that information, I think some people have equated Chet to a a kind of Evan Mobley, this kind of rangy, big. Obviously, I think Chet's coming in right now like twenty pounds less than than what Mobley was. Uh, but there there are some similarities there. Do you see those similarities, A? And let's say that, for argument's sake, Presti does love Chet, and that's his guy. And he thinks that Orlando is going to take Chet at one. Do you think that is something that's worth trying to swap to and like a, a future first, kind of like what we saw with the the Trey Young, Luka Doncic deal, you know, the, the pick plus like a, the next year's top four protected or whatever? to go get him at one or would you just stay pat at two and then just make your decision between those other two guys? Yeah, no, I mean, if you believe Chet's the guy, which they're going to be teams that do, um, then you have to get to one to get him just, just in case Orlando may be doing just the best smoke job we've seen in a long time of, Oh, it's Jabari. Oh, it's Jabari. Surprise, it's Chet. Like maybe they're just absolutely just doing their job at a peak performance level right now and fooling everyone. Um, that's a possibility. Yeah, if Sam's sitting there in the war room and it's like, hey, Chet's the dude, which again, I would understand, even though he's not my personal number one. It's also very thunder. Like Chet is very, for whatever that's worth, for my time, Chet, Chet is very thunder. Um, yeah, you. I think you have to get to one to get him. You just cannot take any chances. Um, we had Mobley one on our board last year. We would have taken him as in Matt and I would have taken him one. We would have unloaded the farm to go to one to get him. I do not hold Mobley and Chet in the same tier. 
they're not in the same tier prospect for me. Mobley would go one this year, and I wouldn't think twice. Just for whatever that's worth. I got that's one more question for you. Yeah. So this is um, my last one was looking back. Now I, I want to look ahead. So after this year, going into next season, the stage the Thunder are at in their rebuild, um, fire up your crystal ball. Kind of where do you see the Thunder next next draft? Do you see them being back in the top of the lottery? Do you see them competing for a top pick again? Or do you think that their record will prevent them from doing so? And maybe they'll be a little bit farther back in the draft order. How do you see them playing this upcoming year? Yeah. So for those who haven't looked ahead at all, Victor Wembenyama is like one of, again, he's not the most, he's not a more difficult eval than Poku. But his, like how special he can be is like a whole new, probably haven't seen it like maybe ever. Like this one Binyama kid's crazy and every team is going to tank. Like if you're not a play-in team, you're racing to the bottom. Like that's what we're going to see around the league. There's a world where let's say the Thunder come away with Paolo and Mark Williams or you come away with um, Chet and Branham or Chet and Daniels. Looking at the numbers in the roster, like you're you're not a bottom five team. Like it's gonna have to be blatantly, painfully intentional to race to the bottom. Because those two are can those guys can come out and play right now. I had one guy float to me and not an exec, just another basketball friend. He's like, dude, if the Thunder could get Jabari, that'd be awesome. Because of the three big guys, he's probably the least ready to contribute to winning right now. And I was like, man, I haven't even thought about it from that way. Like, let's say, <laughs> let's say the Thunder go Jabari at two. And you're like, well, who can we either, who can we stick in the G League or who needs time? Look, I'm all about Jovich and Diang as well. You take one of those guys at 12, put him on the blue. Now you've got Jabari who's going to have to adjust to the perimeter game. And you've got an international kid who's going to need to develop now you can almost race to the bottom a little bit easier. Hmm. Like I, I, I don't know if the guys are going to go like that deep into making selections based on what they look like in year one because I think that's a poor decision, so I don't think they'll do that. Mm-hmm. But that has been floated to me of like, yeah, let's take a shot on an international kid now because Mark Williams is going to come out and win you games in year one. It might be four, but that's four is going to matter next year's lottery night where Jovic and Diang probably don't win you any, but long-term they're probably better and more skilled prospects. Hmm. So again, that's where I look at 12 too. It'll be very telling to me if they pick guys who are ready to come in. So I would race to Vic, race for Victor, Scoot Henderson as well. Like the top two, Victor, Weminyama and Scoot Henderson, they are, one of them's like 7'5", 200 pounds, with like a 7'9 wingspan. The other one's like 6'3", and basically looks like Russ all over again. So they're very different, but they're both what they look like for their respective positions. And I want either one of them. That's some like, not even masterclass tanking. That would be some PhD level tanking to yeah. like draft some guys. Like, to... it's, it's like actually going to be difficult because the roster's, the roster's really good. It's, they've drafted well and it's shaping up to be a good team. Yeah. So people who think, oh, they're going to draft top four again. I'm like, you might have to convince me of that because Shea's going to win plenty of games by himself. 
Giddy's going to win a couple. Trey Mann's going to shoot you into a couple. Uh, Paolo Chedor Jabari, they're all going to win some. Like at that point, you're winning probably 20 at a minimum. And you're going to see some all-time, like seriously, you're going to see some all-time <laughs> level tanking next year across the league. Well, luckily, I have to watch anything. Odds, you, you, yeah. you can be the sixth or seventh worst team and still have a shot at victory. Yeah. I mean, what New Orleans was ninth best odds whenever they landed Zion. Yep. So yeah. it's definitely a possibility. Yeah. If I have to watch any more of what Portland did last year, or I mean, to argue what OKC did the final 10 games last year, that's. That's some low-quality uh, professional basketball. But, <laughs> Derek, before we get you out of here, real quick, one more time. Thunder at pick two, pick 12. Tell us who you think the pick is at two, who you think the pick is at 12, so we can definitely hold you to it on draft night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 31 days out from the draft, uh, I'm going to say Ivy at two and Mark Williams at 12. Ooh. I like it. I'll go ahead and do that. Um I like it. My dark horse scenario is, again, I haven't heard this. This is this is me. This is me with the puppet strings here. Everything points to Portland trading number seven for Jeremy Grant. Detroit's going to have five and seven. I think that Detroit wants Ivy as well. And it wouldn't shock me if you saw a world where the Thunder get five and seven for two in a future or two and 12 hmm. or heck two and 30 get just two and 30 get you five and seven again have not been told that have not read that that is just me floating that out here for everybody to throw in their trade machines and see what happens <laughs> but if detroit gets their hands on five and seven and they have a dude they want one of those big three i mean troy and sam they work together for years like that relationship is there and i think a deal could get done so hmm. um I think the Thunder only do it if they want Ivy and they think they can get him at five. Because if you want one of those big three, you're not moving. I love it. I love yeah, it. So Derek, just, that's a lot to chew on, but it's hard to drop, <laughs> yes. that, drop that bomb in there. On my way <laughs> Good <out>. ending, huh? <laughs> Derek, before we let you go, will you shout out where people can find what you're doing, all of your work, uh, all that stuff? Yeah. Um, my Twitter, uh, D Murray Hoops, um, just first initial M U R A Y and then Hoops. Um, don't really do anything on other platforms, but basketballnews.com is where we'll have all of our draft coverage. Um, I'll drop probably the Keon Ellis interview tomorrow. Uh, have a couple articles out, just like standouts of mine from the scrimmages, from the combine, um, who played well. And Matt's on the road too. So like he's on the road a lot. He'll have player interviews coming out. We'll start our pre-draft kind of country tour of individual workouts. Um, I may come to Dallas hopefully next week. There's a couple guys down there training. So my Twitter, um, Basketball News website, and then Matt's Twitter as well. That's where you'll find most of our stuff. Awesome. Derek, we appreciate it so much, man. This was super enlightful and, and enlightful, enlightful and insightful. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we really appreciate it. Hey, everybody. We will be back again Monday night with a Twitter Spaces, so make sure to join us then. And then Wednesday, another pod coming your way 8 p.m central time so join us live on youtube if you haven't already make sure you sub to our youtube channel we will talk to you guys soon go follow derek and all of his awesome awesome work until then and as always thunder up